I think it's easier for guys because we don't change hairstyles as often as women. But have you ever had a hairstyle that you look back on and are just mortified by? Yeah, like five years ago. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I um, I think I've had a bad hair life. I went through about 20 years of adult life with hair I didn't like. Um, and I don't, I think I was just too lazy to change it. I think I had big time, like Karen mom hair until my forties, like anchor hair, news anchor hair. Yeah. But that's not Karen hair. That's now the stereotype is kind of like, it was like a bob and it was sort of like longer in the front. I just, I haven't had great hair. Was that your choice though? Or is that like a news director saying you need? No, no, no news director ever told me to cut my hair. I knew it should be a little shorter when I was younger because I otherwise you look super young. Mm-hmm. And I had the problem getting into the business of looking like a child. So I wanted to look older. And then I just kind of got stuck. And I just, I look back at pictures of my hair and my clothes from even 10 or 15 years ago. And I'm, I just, I'm appalled at how uncool I am. Your hair looks nice now. I've never noticed you having bad hair. I think I like kind of found myself in my forties. I always, I always talk about this with friends who are younger when they there's, it's all doom and gloom. I'm turning 30, I'm turning 40. And I'm like, I've never been happier. I am going to be 49 this year. And I feel like I have no problem telling people how old I am. I own it. And I feel cooler now than I did 15 years ago. So, but I look back on old photos. Oh man, the eighties, the nineties. High school in the 90s, in the early 90s, late 80s, that was bad hair. What what is, what are we talking here? Are we talking? Perm- I had spiral perms starting in middle school in the 80s. And we're talking like long, big, curly hair. And I tried to do the tall bangs thing, which was huge everywhere in the country, but especially in the Northeast, right? You had like croissant bangs and I could never figure it out bought all the curling irons. I bought these things called benders. I tried to do it and my hair would just fall flat all the time. And now I'm happy. I'm happy that I don't have that shame in my past, but I still had really bad hair. Did you ever grow your hair out? Did you ever have a mullet or anything like that? No, my mom, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted a rat tail when I was a kid. That's what I really wanted. Cause that was cool. And my mom expressly forbid a rat tail. She said I could grow a duck tail, whatever that was. I think it's just like a wider rat tail. I think it's like a proto mullet. Wait, why is she okay with that and not a rat tail? Did a rat tail signify like, like trash, right? Correct. Yes. So I was not allowed and I wasn't interested in whatever the hell a duck tail was. So I have always had more or less the same haircut, like forever. Um, Now that I'm going bald, I really regret not doing something funkier with my hair, more fun, you know, because like I've just I like it tight when my hair gets long. And now as I again, I'm thin on top. So when my hair grows out and it's like a mushroom, I just go I'm like I'm like Larry from the Three Stooges. It just goes out. And so I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I had done something with my hair at least once in my life. Now, where I had issues was facial hair. So as soon as I could actually grow facial hair, which wasn't until my mid 20s, realistically, I went nuts with crazy like mutton chops and weird beards. And for like the last five or six years, I've always had kind of like a permanent five o'clock shadow. But that's mostly because my face is so fat that it gives me some definition on my chin area. Otherwise, it's like nose, mouth. You're contouring with facial hair. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Same like, thing. Women do it with makeup. 
So I, I wish I had done something fun with my hair. I very briefly, and I remember this, it was my 30th birthday. I had a faux hawk because that was trendy at the time. And I just got a ream of of crap from my friend Dan about it because it looked stupid. And looking at it now, it does look kind of stupid. But that was the one thing I tried one time. Wait, wait, what was the faux hawk again? Well, basically, it's a regular haircut, but then you spike it up. That's right. That's right. To be, you know. Oh, yeah. I remember we were in Vegas for our 30th birthdays. They're all kind of around the same time. So we went to Vegas and I had the faux hawk and... Yeah, so I, that's why I remember when I had it anyway. Um, I got a really bad haircut when I was in sixth grade, and it was, um, this is so crazy. I'm still scarred from it. My mom dropped me off at one of her um, co-worker slash friend's house for the day because she had a daughter the same age as me. And the woman asked me if I wanted a haircut. And I had long, little girl, straight, boring ass hair with bangs. And I said, I don't know because she was an adult and I did not, you know, I didn't know what to do. She put me in this weird position and she said, do you like Karen's hair, her daughter? And I did not, in fact, like Karen's hair. Karen. But I didn't want to say that. And so she put me in the bathtub on a stool and cut all my hair off. My hair was longer than it is now. So it was way past my shoulders and she cut all my hair, boy short. And she was not, this woman was not a hairdresser. She worked for the Air Force with my mom. She cut all my hair off and it was a really bad haircut. It was uneven. I don't know what she, what she was thinking at the time. I didn't know what she was thinking. And my mom came and picked me up and I've never seen my mom so angry and so undiplomatic because my mom could tell just looking at me that I was going to break down as soon as we got in the car. I was in sixth grade. That's a huge year when you're a little girl and you're already insecure. Mm -hmm. So of course I got in the car and I cried and da da da. And my mom called her when we got home and kept pressing her saying, why did you cut her hair? Why would you never ask her mom, even if she said she wanted a haircut, which I did not. Anyway, fast forward years later, this woman is a <clears throat> complete psychopath and this, this is going to sound made up. It's not. It's the truth. She had a voodoo doll of my mom in her car. A mutual friend told her, told my mom. And so I think this was like one of the first times that she plotted to sort of like hurt my mom in some way by cutting all my hair off. But when I went back to school, I think this was a Friday. I went back to school on Monday and I had a beanie on. Huh. And beanies were not cool in 1986, 1985, whatever year this was. And I would not take it off. And everyone in the class was teasing me. And the boys eventually got it off my head and made fun of me. Mind you, I also was missing a front tooth because I'd gotten into a car accident. So here I am with this insane hair and a missing front tooth. And I'm what, 12 years old? Is that how old you are in sixth grade? I think. Something like that. 11 or 12 years old. So that was the haircut of my life. That's Thank you. I just, the layers here. I know. Can you imagine doing that to someone's kid? No. I know. I know. I should reach out to this woman. Boy, oh boy. Hopefully she's dead. Hopefully she's dead. She deserved it. Welcome to Film Swap, the podcast where we challenge each other to watch the movies that we've let slip through the cracks or purposely shoved into the cracks for whatever reasons. I'm Angelica Thornton. And I'm Nick Vole, and today we are watching The Big Chill. Bye. 
There is a little-known condition that affects all our lives. Symptoms range from lack of coordination to lack of direction to unusually mature behavior. Check your temperature. The ground is ready. I just need someone to plant the seed. Yeah, but who's going to be the lucky farmer? What? You want me to what? I can always be counted on to do the right thing. It's a disgusting curse. If you feel any of these symptoms... It's about everything. Uh, uh, suicide. Alex and I made love the night before he died. It was fantastic. Despair. You don't know anything about me. For 15 years, you've acted like I'm the one you really wanted. You've made sure that everybody knew it. Uh, where did our hope go? Lost hope. That's it. Lost hope. It was easy back then. No one ever had a cushier birth than we did. It's not surprising our friendship could survive that. It's only out here in the world that it gets tough. You may have contracted the big chill. I know, but I'm telling you, I think I've got something good right here. The new stars of the 80s in a comedy for all times. Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Mary Kay Place, Meg Tilly, Joe Beth Williams, Lawrence Kasdan's The Big Chill. Okay, The Big Chill is a dramedy uh, that probes the growing pains of seven college housemates from the 1960s who have drifted apart and then they reunite at the funeral of a friend who dies by suicide. Having entered adulthood as nonconformists, most now belong to the establishment. They're stunned by the death of their friend, sensing their own mortality and the loss of innocence. They end up reevaluating their lives as they reestablish their bond. This was 1983. It's a huge movie in 1983. It's got a great cast. Uh, Kevin Klein, Jeff Goldblum, Tom Berenger, William Hurt, Glenn Close, Mary Kay Place, Joe Beth Williams, and of course, Kevin Costner, although we never see Kevin Costner. Um, box office hit was nominated for three Oscars, Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress was Glenn Close. And it's celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. I have watched this I don't know, at least 10 times, I think. We used to have a VHS copy at home. It was like one of 10 movies that we owned. So, of course, I watched it because nothing else was on. And I picked it uh, again. Nick, I picked something that involves suicide. I am sorry. I swear this is not intentional. I keep doing this. This is like the fourth movie I think I've chosen. Um, why hadn't you seen it yet? This is the uber boomer movie, right? And it just... I have a thing. It's 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 not good or bad. It's just a thing where I just instinctively reject my parents' stuff. Like, you know, I'm not a rebel, but that's what I rebel against, I guess. And so I just remember, we talked about this last podcast, my parents had this LP, the soundtrack, which was a huge top 10 Billboard hit full of old, you know, Motown songs. So I remember staring at that album cover and just going, I am never going to watch this movie. <laughs> I love that about you as a kid. And like, uh, that's the one, that's the movie I, we shoved into the cracks. Like we say, I intentionally shoved it in there with the hopes of never seeing it, but I did. Yeah. It's very, it's very uncool to like this film. I think now, especially even though it was popular at the time, mm -hmm. they're boomers, white privileged, narcissists, self-absorbed, self-indulgent. Uh, but I also think and I never really analyzed it until this last time around that they're very self-aware in this film. Um, they're not trying to hide the fact 
there are a couple of scenes that that underscore that I think, and I I just never noticed before. Um, did you find that, or did the movie drive you crazy? Um, it's a watchable movie. I hate every single person in this movie except for Meg Tilly. Um, you know, right, the younger one, the next generation. So yeah, she's like not quite Gen X, but she's like late boomer. I'd I'd say. Um, yeah, they but, just but the all... way but the way she plays her role and the way they, they I think her character is supposed to be a you know an older Gen X I think right. Well, but I mean in '83, I guess Gen X hadn't really. Yeah, I don't know how Gen X starts, but yeah, yeah, she she's but but she's also played as someone who's sort of an idiot. Yeah, but at least she's, you know, likable. You know, I this movie did drive me crazy a little bit. I, I just think it's, it's like you mentioned, it's like eight narcissistic self-centered people whose every action is driven by their own self-interest, just trying to help themselves. You know what I yeah. mean? So it was hard for me to watch a little bit. And it reminds me of some of the worst traits of, you know, I, let me start all this by saying, I recognize that not every member of the boomer generation is a bad person. I think they're right. the worst generation possible. They're just an awful generation who took all of this, you know, success and largesse that the, the greatest generation, their parents, whatever provided our country, they've hoarded it. <laughs> they've betrayed their like hippy dippy leanings and have made the world a worse place for their children and grandchildren, and they continue to do so. But I recognize that individual people are good people. Still, try there are lots of people still trying to live up to those ideals of the '60s. So let me just say all that because I don't want like people, right? To think of course, that, you know. So anyway, I just think these are just this is them. This is this is the people who you know had the privilege to in the '60s rebel. And then also have something to fall back on. And so when they when they come out of that, they still have these good jobs. They still are all fairly well off. Um, they have the luxury of turning their back on the the things they think they believe when they had the luxury to to believe in them. Does yeah. That, does that make sense? Yeah. There wasn't so, a big price to pay for them. There was a safety yeah. net. Exactly. And so even in the movie, they sit here and they, they're like, oh, we really sold out a little bit they allude to the fact they know they sold out but at the same time they're justifying it to themselves you know what i mean it's like absolutely self-aware but they also aren't repentant at all yeah and and here are the two scenes i was talking about um the the first one is during that midnight snack scene where richard is sitting in the kitchen richard is karen's husband Drinking milk like a psycho. Yeah, just like drinking milk, having a sandwich. And he says, you have to set your priorities. That's what life is. I wonder if Alex knew that. Now, Alex is their friend who killed himself. Um, as he bites into a sandwich, he says this. One thing's for sure, he couldn't live with it. But the thing is, no one said it was going to be fun. At least nobody told me. That's sort of the point of the movie. Mm -hmm. But they never really move beyond that. There's no, there's no magic. There's no... Um, I guess it just, that's what it is. That's the movie. There's no, there's no lesson learned for anyone. It's just them realizing it. The other scene is um, when Chloe is stretching out in her leotard, um, Meg Tilly. Yeah. And, and Nick is videotaping her with that giant camcorder. And he says, I don't, and she says, I don't like talking about myself as much as you guys do. And he laughs because he knows they all know that's who they are. 
They sit around talking about themselves until they can't stand it anymore, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it is because they're not talking to one another, talking at one another. Yeah. They're waiting for their turn to talk. It's not an engaged, active listening process where they're listening to what their friends are saying. No, here's what happened. Here's what has happened to me since college. And here's why I went off course. Here are my excuses. But you're right. It's they're not bouncing off of each other. It's just I'm going to show up and tell you why I abandoned my principles. Yeah, totally. Like 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 the lawyer character. um, Mary Kay Place's character, whose character name I'm forgetting, she talks about how she was a public defender, but they're all scumbags. And so yeah. that is why it's okay for her to not do that and go be a, you know, some other kind of lawyer. And it's like, that's fine. If you don't want to be a public defender, it's a very difficult job. It doesn't get paid enough, blah, blah, blah. But her excuse is just like, well, they're all bad people and I'm a good person. So I don't want to do that anymore. It's like, that's your excuse. So you can go make three times as much money. Just say you want to make more money, but like the lack of actual introspection just drives me nuts. You know, it's everything is an excuse why you are able to indulge in your, you know, less. Right. Meg, I thought she was she was maybe the top of my list for least likable characters. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's why I like this film. And I again, I think a lot of it's nostalgia. And I do not have the same experience with boomers as a lot of other people in this country, because although my mom is, you know, 72 this year, I don't consider her a boomer because she didn't grow up American. She's been here most of her life. So, but she did not have, I mean, her life is so different because of the way she grew up until she was 20. And, um, and then Bill's parents are the silent generation. They're older. So they're kind of stuck between the greatest generation and boomers. So I actually don't have a lot of experience with boomers right around me. All of the boomers that I grew up with, people that age, even the ones who are American, did not have this privilege, did never, never could have done the things that the people in this film did because it was like, no, I can't go to college because I have to work in my parents' restaurant and support them. And they're going to live with me forever. And I'm supposed to get married and have children and do all of these things that you're expected to do when you're a part of an immigrant community. So I think I was fascinated by these boomer yuppies when I was a kid. It was like this crazy world that I got to peek into when I when I babysat. I compared the characters in this film to the people I babysat for like this upper middle class families who drove like old Jeep Wagoneers and had wreaths, Christmas wreaths on the front of their cars. And I thought, wow, they're, they've made it. These people are <laughs> real yuppies. And I thought it was cool. Um, Once you get the were, money, you've made it. You're an American. You're yeah, I mean, American. seriously, that was like a sign of like, that was a sign to me that you have made it. You've got a Christmas wreath on the front of your Volvo or your Wagoneer. And, you know, that's living the American dream. I was, I, they were so American. They were so educated. I was intrigued by their yuppiness. Um, they were some of my friends' parents. I guess I saw that in some of my friends' parents, uh, my American friends, you know, non-Greeks. And I just, 
it's why I liked 30 something. I mean, 30 something was created because of the big chill, right? And I thought all the characters were fascinating. And I remember thinking, I would love to be that. I would love to be a professional who, you know, lives this kind of life and has the luxury of sitting around complaining about absolute bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> And not how am I going to pay for my groceries or, you know, this person's dying because they're a, like a heroin addict or this person has AIDS. All of these real problems that I saw in like communities around me when I was a kid, this was an escape from all of that. This was, I mean, obviously the, there's a serious, like, you know, this serious start to this plot. I mean, someone kills themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and what's funny about it is that they aside from a couple crying jags here and there they don't seem to they don't really talk about him that much they don't seem to you know it's a kind of a party almost and part yeah. of it i guess is because he's been away for a long time and they don't see each other as often but they hardly go into glenn close's agony you mm. know she's clearly torn up about it they have a history she's crying in the shower that was great scene yeah um but they just barely scratched the surface there yeah i agree um I mean, as some, I mean, I've, I have had a friend die and I don't think that we reacted that way. I remember much different uh, conversations and hanging outs, hangings out, you know, I just, it just seemed, seemed a little weird to me. It just seemed almost like the MacGuffin to get them together so they could have their little interpersonal drama. Like it could have been anything. It could have been a college reunion that got them all together to talk about this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anything. Um. I remember at the time watching this in, in the 80s and really into the early 90s and thinking that they were so old. Yeah. And they're and all like they're in their mid 30s, 30s yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Just like crazy. I'm probably now 15 years older than they are in the film. Um, but I did, I, I, I've had a couple college friends die too, like 20 years after college. So, I mean, it's sort of comparable to where a funeral brings you together. Mm -hmm. And, there's there's not there's none of this there's no dancing around the kitchen you know it it that was kind of weird to me absolutely yeah just as an adult as an yeah. adult analyzing this and thinking would we react like this would of course like you have these um events that bring you together whether it's a college reunion or something tragic like a suicide i had a my college roommate um took her own life and you always say to yourself and to the friends that you end up connecting with again, like, why did we wait so long? Why did it take this? So I thought that got me, the movie got me thinking about that. And we all do this. So, uh, but the way that they did it just seemed, I don't know, off. And if they're supposed to be best friends in college, I think they're supposed to be super tight, right? They all live yeah. together. Half of them dated each other. Would they really be that out of touch? Yeah, maybe. I mean, 35, that's, I mean, it's over 10 years probably since they graduated. Yeah. I, I think that is one thing the movie does really well, because I mean, like you touched on there, we all have these old friends that we sort of drift away from and we become different people, you know? And so when you get back together, there is weirdness. And yeah. one thing that I thought was effective with the movie is the, the weekend goes on. The Once the euphoria, for lack of a better word, of them getting back together fades then the old cracks and fissures start to show up and yeah they start to bubbling to the surface yeah. all these old beefs and problems they have with each other are, are kind of allowed to return so i think that is was pretty effective because that is how it is right when you see somebody you haven't seen in a while 
even if it's not an old college friend, you know, relatives, whatever it is, you go visit. And after about the third day, that's it gets real, you know. I mean, it happens at the end of every guy's weekend or every girl's weekend. Even if you do it once a year, you're just so happy for the first half of the weekend. And then the second half, you're like, this is driving me crazy. And this is driving me crazy. And maybe the next time around, we need to cut 12 hours off this trip. Yeah. Yeah. Or cut him out of this. Exactly. Let's, Some let's people, for sure. Guy. Like, Michael, come on, buddy. You know. Although yeah. He's I one mean, of my favorite characters in this movie. Was he? Yeah, I mean, he was a creep, but at least he was like an amiable creep. Yeah, here's the deal. I love Jeff Goldblum. You know I love Jeff Goldblum. And when I watch this movie, I love seeing him young and seeing him in this role. But I've never really understood why he was so hated by the group. I mean, it's it's bordering on vicious at points. I don't know what the backstory is there. I, I, it has to be more than him being a tabloid journalist or him being a little creepy with Chloe. Mm -hmm. um, I, I got the sense because, you know, he's he's talking about this nightclub he wants to open. He wants investors. I, I just felt like perhaps they were hinting that he's always been that sort of guy who's yeah. trying to get something out of you. Yeah. I mean, kind of goes with this narcissist theme. It's uh, it's all about him. That That's kind of what I was guessing at. But I don't I agree. They don't really spell it out too much. I felt like he was one of the more honest characters. Yeah, he said what he wanted, you know, he like just thinking about then like the Sam character, the actor, Tom Berenger with his mustache and hair, um, how he leads on his ex-girlfriend or whatever throughout Aaron, the movie. Yeah. And then she finally, you know, says straight out, she is honest and says, I want this. And then he says, no. That is way worse behavior than whatever St. Michael's doing because he's hurting her. And again, it's a movie. We're not supposed to like all the characters. You know, we don't characters aren't going to do the, th the right thing all the time. Otherwise, there's no movie. But like it's a movie where every character <laughs> does the wrong thing at every turn almost. Yeah, including like insider trading. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many little things. I'm like, that is a huge deal. What he's doing, giving, giving these tips off to his friends before he sells his, you know, it's supposed to be what, like he's supposed to be selling to a big, like, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's kind of like he's got a little Nike, right. That he's starting up. I don't is that know what it was? I didn't, I, I didn't quite figure out what the business was. Well, it's like a, I think it's a chain of, of running shoe stores and he's got like what, 25 of them. And then he's, and then he's selling off to some big company and he's like tipping off his friends. So when and the like, van pulls up with the running shoes for everyone, that was his business. Yes. I and missed got, that. I, I thought and he he's got like, up. that's why they're so rich. They've got like, you know, several dozen stores or something. And then he's about to sell it. Um, uh, and He's given that, you know, he's like, stock's going to be really valuable soon. And I'm thinking, wow, Martha Stewart went to prison for that, didn't she? Yeah. And then like the whole, <laughs> this is like such an 80s thing. Too, White collar right? crime. It's like a yeah. prequel to Wall Street or something. Yeah. It's a little crazy. I do. I, I like, I like the idea of movies where you, um, you get to like see old friends who know who you were mm -hmm. before you made it. Or didn't make it or evolved into the adult that you are are now. There's something special about that to me. Um, it makes you think about how friendships age for better or for worse. How you can relax back into that old you when you see these people. I mean, that's why I think we we like having these 
girls trips, boys trips, whatever you want to call them, these little mini reunion with old high school friends or college friends, they're all fun because you can chill out and be yourself for a while. It's yeah, like but, getting together with old cousins. And and they get at that too, though, because remember being yourself or falling back into the patterns you were, the person you were then isn't always a good thing. Right. You talk about Michael and how they dislike him. Well, he's a very successful person, right? But he goes back to this and he's kind of like the whipping boy a little bit. Yeah. And that's not a positive thing. Right. Um, so that's kind of interesting to me, but I don't think they go deep enough into that because they could get into you know, hey, I don't deserve this, you know? Yeah. I'm not the same person I was, but they don't touch yeah. on that. And also yeah. all of these people have managed to be very successful. And so I think it lacks some, it could be more dynamic if you had a couple who were just like, hey, I'm, I can't afford this or I'm not, you know what I mean? This, I'm sorry. So like, that's kind of interesting. And then like Bridesmaids, for example, did a good job of that with, with the friend groups showing the, when you get into your thirties, these, some of these financial disparities are, start becoming a parent and i don't know i thought it would have made the dynamic a lot more interesting to to have more difference between these people yeah i agree um but it sounds like they all went to michigan state and they all sort of michigan. just don't you oh dare. is it michigan yeah sorry yeah. Ooh, yeah michigan the wolverines not Spartans. yeah um so yeah i mean like a little diversity even socioeconomic would have been good it would have caused some some good friction for mm -hmm. the film um speaking of friction it had one of the worst scenes i've ever seen in my life like when she when glenn close's character sets up her husband to bang the friend whose name meg is meg yeah. oh my god just who thinks this is a good idea and like this is played off as this romantic thing almost how's that gonna work how's that gonna work when her kid like is he is he not gonna have a dad role like i Cannot stop thinking about this every time I see this. I'm like, this is not a good idea. And also, like, I don't know that I would. No, I do know. I do not want my husband impregnating my friend. Good. Way to draw a line in the sand. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, thanks. So, yeah. but, but, but what I was sitting here thinking about is that even that act where she's sacrificing her husband to go, oh, and yeah. her friend, it's 100% about her. Because one, she's the hero to her friend. Two, she is absolving herself from having the affair with the dead guy. Exactly what it like, is. You can go have some sex. Sure. Yeah, I did it. And this now we're even, you know, and then how creepy is it that when they're doing the act of the, the conception or attempt at it, it is like romantic and they're kissing and they're like, like, that is so weird. Like to me, if that if this was going to happen, it would need to be this mechanical, clinical do it as fast as you can. Don't look at each other. But they're like staring into each other's eyes. And I can't. I know. It's like, it's so bad. And there's like people in the house and they know it's happening. And it's almost like ceremony. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not, like a, there should be not, like people in hoods standing around the bed, like <laughs> chanting in Latin. <laughs> oh, God. And the, the, the when when he makes that comment about her bathrobe. Oh, yeah. Ew. Ew. And uh, I, I thought back too because remember in the earlier part of the movie, he's like, whenever she's wearing that bathrobe, like, oh, I jump on her. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah that's what I'm that's, talking well, that's about. A callback. Oh my god. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's weird. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were just talking about when he saw her again in the bedroom. No. She comes in and he mentions it again. Oh, he acted on it. He was like, I told you. Mm -hmm. Well, Ooh. nothing turns me on, and more like 
than pink terry cloth. And so she, okay, so Meg initially goes to Nick. That's William Hurt's character. Um, who's like this kind of lost drug dealer. And she like, was that what he like, does? What was that? Is that what he does? He's a drug dealer? I, I think he's supposed to be like a drug dealer. He drives around in his sob with drugs taped to the underside of his car. I thought he was just that a drug was. user, but I read online that he's supposed to be like a, a drug dealer. And there are a couple comments here and there in the film indicating that like he just sells drugs to just get by because I think he's what, like a psychiatrist or a psychologist by trade and right. And he just kind of has a breakdown. Yeah. Anyway, so she goes to him, it seems like five seconds after the funeral and tries to like get on him in the attic. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I, I can't do that. He has a, a a ball injury from Vietnam. I don't know what's wrong with him. He's like, oh, I don't it's, even so, know. it's so dumb. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't. I got my dick shot off in Vietnam. Like, <laughs> no other injuries. Like I was outside peeing and Charlie shot my dick off. Like. They're just, I mean, come on. And so now I need to just take Valiums and drive around recklessly in my sob. Do you think I'd get this earring if I still had a dick? <laughs> so she's like trying to ride him in her bathrobe, her borrowed bathrobe. And he's like, no. And then who else does she go through? She makes a joke about trying to get with Sam, right? Which is Tom Berenger. Not even just a joke, though. No. Remember, they're laying in bed together and he tells her no. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And then she's not going to even try with Michael because Michael's an asshole and everyone hates him. So forget that. He's a writer for People magazine. Why would you want that seed inside of you? <laughs> He's successful. He writes for National I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And, and, and it's funny, too, because they are such shallow people. They are they are the People magazine demographic. He, he literally did a story on Sam. Like, because yeah. Sam is a cheesy actor. Exactly. Um, so anyway, so she goes, she goes through the them except for Michael. And then it's like at, there, there's there's no thought, there's no discussion. It's sort of like she goes to Glenn Close, her character asks her, Sarah is her name, asks her, Oh, can can I have sex with your husband? I want a baby. And it seems like Glenn Close thinks about it for a few hours and then that's it. Major life decision. Mm -hmm. And they're staring longingly into each other's eyes and making a baby. And then she's in the pantry with her husband. She's like, I want you to do something for me because I love you so much. Kiss me while I tell you what I want you to do. Oh, I mean, if that's a, like some sort of sexual fantasy, sure, go for it. But like, that's not. It's the whole thing's so weird. Just weird. And, and then what is going on with Kevin Klein's accent? Is he from South? He's it's like this almost Southern accent he's trying to do. So he just sounds like he's from nowhere. I don't. It's get like it. I, it it's like a Carolina's Virginia kind of thing. It's like it didn't bother me that much because I have met people who either went to school in other parts of the country or have spent a big chunk of their adult life in other parts of the country, but they still have that sort of. It's like mid-Atlantic, sort of Southern drawl. I don't know. Okay, so I just haven't experienced is what you're saying. Because to me, it sounded like he was just trying to do a Southern accent, but pulling up short, like not willing to commit to the to the drawl. No, I have a, uh, my brother-in-law's from Virginia and he sort of has that accent. So I like Kevin Klein, but that was, uh, I was distressed. Off a little. What yeah. I thought it was, but I'm glad now I'm wrong. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. Um, oh, I, oh, go ahead. 
I want to talk about um, William Hurt's character a little more, Nick, because he's clearly got some some serious problems. Mm-hmm. Depression, drug use, whatever. And then the film fixes it by hooking him up with Chloe, which is creepy because his friend's funeral was like days ago. Yeah. So now he's, so now he's like together with it's weird on her part. It's weird on his part. It's weird on on Harold and Sarah's part because they're sort of making it happen and saying, OK, you can live here. So he gives him this tip, this like casual insider trading tip. And that's that. Like, that's OK now. That's how you're saving your friend. Yeah, he's got money. He's got a girl who doesn't care that he's missing a dick. It's perfect. And this guy needs rehab. This guy needs rehab. He doesn't need, um, you know, Chloe and your guest house or whatever it is. Yeah, it. uh, But maybe that's a casual drug use 1983 kind of thing. I mean, a lot of people used a lot of different drugs back then and. Yeah, and the whole thing seemed weird to me. Just that, I, I guess maybe they can justify it. But well, they were only dating for four months, so she's yeah, you know, she didn't love him probably necessarily. They just were shacking up or whatever. Yeah. It's still bizarre, and yeah. like no human being acts that way. Yeah, and also like, what is to like about? She says, "You remind me of him," and that's enough that we believe she likes yeah. him. He's well, not the, likable. There's nothing well, the, that he does that would. I thought, okay, is it because he's depressed? <laughs> Maybe. Like, wants to save him sort of thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, also, Kevin Costner, let's talk about this. So he's in the casket, and I think originally he had scenes, right? Or yeah, like, what was the deal with that? So they well, cut him out, that, right? They, they cut him out because he had a few scenes, like some flashback scenes and things like that. They cut him out because I guess when they were talking, talking him up so much in the film that when you saw him, there was no way he could live up to what they were all saying. And I guess the original ending of the movie was a flashback to a Thanksgiving where he was totally different than everyone had described him because everyone has memories of him that paint him in a different light. And none of them actually got to the true him. And that is kind of interesting to me, this sort of Rashomon style you know, we all remember things differently kind of thing, yeah. but that was cut in favor of more of the sappier, happier ending. Um, So yeah, that's yeah. why he was cut. Cause they didn't think he could live up to the image that everyone else was making of him. Interesting. I also read that when they kept the original and screened it, it was confusing, a little confusing to people. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of boiled it down to what we ended up with. The we're never leaving. We took a vote. We're never leaving. Yeah. Yeah. I um I don't know. I mean, we've been talking for what 45 minutes, and now I'm like, I don't like this movie anymore. <laughs> it's a watchable movie. It has some really funny lines, and like it's one of those movies if you don't think about it, it's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, you that's the problem. Like I'm, I'm overthinking it. it. Yeah. But and it has a great soundtrack. I mean, on the verge of overplayed so i don't want to hear it anymore kind of soundtrack to me like it was so popular and the songs are so popular i mean there's certain there's certain albums in my life i i refuse to ever listen to i can't stand it i i change the songs on the radio because it's just it's it's too overplayed i can't listen to any police i can't listen to 
anything like Steve Miller band, Billy Joel. Of course, you and I have this bond where we both dislike Billy Joel. Yeah. Um, but all of this stuff that just these albums from the 80s and 90s that just were on replay constantly. Sure. This is sort of a tangent, but there's this whole like thing I've been thinking about a lot lately where there are people, and I'm not one of them, but there are people who stop ingesting popular culture at age 22 or whatever and stick with the thing they listen to forever. And then there are these other people that are even worse who listen to what their parents listen to. So like there's a guy I follow on Twitter. This is a total stupid tangent and I apologize who does these polls and that's his whole thing. He does these polls and they're like tournaments and then you have a winner, like the best Seinfeld episode ever or whatever. But all of his pop culture things are like from the seventies and eighties and he's my age. And I'm like, who are you? Why are you listening? Why do we need to do a poll on which moody blues song is the best? <laughs> and so that's kind of almost what this reminds me of too. And because like, we talked this whole movies about the boomers who are so self yeah. invested and not that people of our age aren't and all that, but this sort of navel gazing, like they're listening to the music. The music in this album is the music from when they were young. Right. So I, apparently they listened to Motown. They didn't listen to like more of the hippie rock or I don't yeah. know. It's just this weird sort of nostalgia factory that we have in America where you know, we 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 venerate these things that happened when we were young and we can't move forward. I don't know where I'm going with this, but like no, I, something that bothers me. I think I'm guilty of that. I've talked about that with you, particularly with music. Like I, you know, the channels in my car on my Sirius um, are what? Lithium, like new, new, new wave lithium, Ozzy's Boneyard liquid metal. I don't know and what any of these things are, but it's just like, I listen to nineties alternative rock and like eighties metal. And like, I need to evolve mm -hmm. as a music appreciator. I, I listen, I like some new music, but I'm definitely over that um, line that you're describing where it's like, you're just stuck in an era. I'm stuck in college music. I also is, I am the kind of person who really enjoys the stuff that we listen to as a kid too. Like I love, um, I mean like Fleetwood Mac and James Taylor and all this shit that's like for old people. Like Bill's yeah. like, what are you doing? What are you doing listening to that? I love Cat Stevens. He doesn't understand why I love Cat Stevens so much. I'm like, I don't know. We had, we had the albums when I was a kid and I just, See that you know. and I are just polar opposites here. Like I can't, I just I'm not I think you're you're more of a legit music fan, and I'm not. I don't have enough of an interest to make the effort to listen to new music and to check it out and to decide what I like. I'm just lazy. It it's definitely hard to keep up. And I'm not like on the cutting edge of anything here, but I, I try. But it's not even just the trying, it's like the mindset that some people have. And I'm not accusing you of this, but the mindset where like everything was better than everything was better than TV was better than music was life was better than make America great again. You know, what no, I, mean? I don't agree with that. I don't agree. I, I don't feel that way, but I can totally see some people being like that. For me, it's just pure laziness. And oh, I like this music. I listened to this in college and it. I have good memories associated with this music. Um, 
And gosh, anyone who says TV was better than is insane. We are living in the golden age of television and film. We are so lucky. I mean, we can watch whatever we want, whenever we want. TV shows that are being produced right now are extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I just think it's like this this mindset that some people have. I always like stupid joke that I makes me laugh. They don't make them like they used to. Yeah, you know, nostalgia was better back in my day. <laughs> It's good. It's no, good. No, thank you. And that uh, is such a boomer thing. I do. I do hear Gen Xers kind of doing that sometimes, and it's super annoying. Totally, and because now we're all getting old, and like we're the the key is going to be whether like we continue to. <laughs> okay, so like the 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 old sort of truism that when you're young you're liberal, and when you're old you're conservative, and I think that the challenge is and. and this isn't a value judgment on anything at this point, but I'm saying the, the, the challenge as an adult is to stay true to who you are and not let your uh, relative affluence change who you are. Like it's easy to be glib or to be dismissive of things when you can afford to do that. You know what I mean? When you have enough money that social issues or political issues don't affect you really anymore it's easy right. to, to, to let go of it. And I think the challenge for all of us as we age is to stay true to what everybody else is going through and not let ourselves become detached in our house once we reach a certain level of wealth, if we're lucky enough to get there. Does that make sense? And I feel like yeah. that's kind of the story of the big chill here because they all had these beliefs. They, got, you know, got, they wised up and they, they got in the rat race and they made their money and now they, and it happened fairly quickly. They're only in their mid thirties. Yeah, because I mean, they all, they it's all came easy from to understand how that could happen to someone over forty years, but to, these people are still young. They're not even close to middle age at this point, mm -hmm. and they've already abandoned everything that they held so true. But but that's the thing that I, I don't believe they ever really held it true. I think for them it was part of a, a movement that they were yeah in. fads it's a fad for them because they came from affluence they did it for fun and now they went back to where, where yeah. they came from you know what i mean so yeah that's that's one of the things that annoyed me about the characters and and that annoys me about boomers in general and you know how much they fought for certain things in the 60s and then just you know for equality and then it's Maybe okay. that's why 30-something was 30-something. Did you ever watch that show? I was too young for that show. I watched it, and I, I liked it, um, but it, it, you know, I don't think I would like it now as an adult because it is a bunch of people, it's a white, privileged, college-educated, upper-middle-class people whining about shit, you know, that mm -hmm. they don't need to be whining about. But it was, it did go deeper than the big chill. It was, it was the big chill only let's stretch this out over a TV series and talk about the internal conflict that you feel when you feel like you've, you've lost your moral compass or you've lost your way somehow in life. And, you know, very eighties, of course, it was like the woman who wants to be a mom, but also wants to be a career woman. And back then it was like either, or there was no in between. It seemed like at the time. Um, and so they accomplished what the big chill could have accomplished, but it was pretty superficial. Well, but I mean, that's one of the narrative advantages of television. You have yeah. especially mm -hmm. old school television. We have 23 episodes a season yep. you have time to really get into it. And that is yeah. 
not the fault of the big chill that it does have to pack a lot into an hour and 45 minutes. So yeah, you've got a lot of characters, a lot of crossover plot lines and it's um, yeah. So would you recommend this? I, I might as, as a, uh, it is a period piece, right? It does. It is illustrative of that era, I think. Um, so yeah, maybe I, I just think I wouldn't have recommend it as a piece of entertainment you're going to love, but I would recommend it as an interesting thing to watch. Right. It's a piece of our pop culture history. That's it's good to have that under your. And now I'm realizing now that we've talked about how Angelica is so lazy with music. Mm-hmm. kind of I'm kind of like that with films, even though we're doing a podcast together. I've picked a lot of 80s stuff. Yeah. I need to get with the program, Nick. Well, but no, in a way it's good because you're filling me in on some holes that I have because I, yeah. I generally try not to, I don't go too far back. I go back into the 70s. I think 70s cinema is better than 80s. So I end up there more often, but you know, hey, you complete me. I just thought of a great podcast. Someone needs to, or um, I just thought of a good app someone needs to create. It would be for someone like me who either is too lazy or doesn't have the time to keep up with the cool stuff. And so I need to know what music do I need to check out that's new and what are the cool new movies? And these are the things that the kids are saying, and this is what it means. It's like the cliff notes to like being current <laughs> life. Yeah. Life cliff notes. What can we call it? Mm. Gen explainer. Someone Gen- make oh, this. Someone Gen make explainer. this. All right. I need help. I need a lot of help. So maybe you have to have somebody, you have to have two hosts. You have to have somebody from Gen X to be the audience surrogate. And then you need someone young to like explain things, but they need to be like, a, mm, they need to be smart. Because they need to recognize what's real and what's passing. And and cool. Like, I want to, like, what kind of jeans am I supposed to be wearing? Like, what, you know, like, do what am I doing here with my hair? Like, it needs to be everything from that to music to film to what is my 13-year-old talking about? What is this language he's speaking? I don't know what these words mean. Hmm. That's a good idea. Yeah. So it's a website. It's a podcast. It's a Twitter. It's an Instagram feed. Actually, if it's for your age and my age, it's probably a Facebook feed. Let's be real. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, this is a very good idea. You, you know, hey, you we could... just gave it away. Let's just edit all of this out, Nick. Yeah, this well, is too good. Our dozens of listeners will probably steal <laughs> it. Um, if they still listen at all, I, I have a feeling I'm going to have pissed off some boomers, and I apologize. I'm sure you're not like the people I'm describing. Thanks for watching AM Northwest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, are your parents boomers? My parents are boomers for sure. Yeah. They're are my they... dad's 76 and my mom's like 71, I think. Do they have boomer qualities? Some of them. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, but they, they don't, they didn't come from money. And I don't think that they, you know, I know that they still have stayed true to their political beliefs from when they were younger. I mean, they do some boomer things sometimes, especially. Well, I don't need to get too into it, but yes, they do some boomer things sometimes. Yeah. I don't want to criticize my parents on this. <laughs> yeah, podcast. no, we can't do that. 
Uh, I love my parents most of the time. <laughs> I love boomers. I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, this is... Uh, We're trying to dig ourselves out of a big hole. Yes. You know, one thing, too, that also kept me from this movie, coming back to the movie real quick, is that there are so many actors in this movie I don't enjoy watching. So that was part of it as well. Oh, really? I don't huh. enjoy Tom Berenger. I don't enjoy Glenn Close. I don't enjoy William Hurt. I'm pretty ambivalent about Mary Kay Place and Joe Beth Williams. I like. I think William Hurt was a good actor, but just seemed like a dick. He was a dick. He's a bad person. He just, oh, I don't. I don't know anything about him in real life. Google Marley Matlin William Hurt. He was abusive to his partners. He was a dick. Oh, oh it's funny because I was talking to my across the street neighbor Emil. Uh, on Saturday at his child's birthday party. And we were talking about William Hurt, oddly enough. And uh, William Hurt, at the end of his life, lived in Portland. And my neighbor ran into him walking the dog one day. Um, that's a good story. But yeah, yeah, he was not good to his partners, like historically. And so I didn't know that before, but I just have always hated his screen presence. Like even broadcast news, I just hated him. He just seemed like somebody I wanted to punch. Yeah. Um, there were there were years and years where I I could not differentiate between William Hurt and Jeff Daniels. Hmm, I can see that blonde, same face. Yeah. Um. So in my head, I like even now a couple movies that Jeff Daniels was in, a couple TV shows. I'm like, no, that's not that's not him. That's that's William Hurt. Um. Yeah, he just seemed like a dick to me. Um. I I really like Glenn Close. Yeah. What What annoys you about her? This is not going to be PC, but she has a crazy face. Yeah, she was she was great in Fatal Attraction for that exact reason, and some other th roles she's played. But that probably left a mark on you. Fatal her her character in Fatal Attraction. Do you think? I don't know. I didn't see it till I was in college, so I I don't know. Um, I just you know it's that very album intense. Cover, yeah, that album I know exactly. Cover, staring back out at me as a kid, I I think. She was fantastic in a movie called Cookie's Fortune, which you should see. She's good at playing crazy. So then I have a hard time buying her not crazy. This is all very, again, this is just one totally. guy. Totally. Just being honest. I love just Kevin Klein. Yeah, I like Kevin Klein a lot as well. I mean, uh, Fish Call Wanda. So good. Ever have won him in my heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Meg Tilly's great too, actually. She didn't have as big a career as some of the others, but. And Kevin Gossner, he was amazing in this one. Yeah. He, he is exactly where I like him in, in a box where we don't see him. He's not an actor I enjoy either. Really? No. Nope. I mean, oh. he's good in some stuff, and I like a couple of his movies. He's just not my guy, you know? Dances with w Wolves? No? no not for you? Not for me. Hmm. Um, what nope. else haven't we talked about? I like him in uh, Bull Durham and Tin Cup. He's very enjoyable in th those movies. Yeah. Bodyguard. Uh, I've never seen The Bodyguard. I'm just kidding. Actually, um, it was the same director, wasn't it? As The Big Chill? Uh, Oh, um, yeah, I think you're right. Lawrence Kasdan. Now, Lawrence Kasdan, as you might remember, co-wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. So two of the most revered movies of the 80s that buy, that bought him the currency to make this movie uh, effectively. So it's kind of interesting. I yeah. mean, he's had a great career, but um, he's a great writer. His son, Jake Kasdan, is a great filmmaker, too. So anywho, uh, next week we have something kind of fun and exciting. Speaking of Tom Berenger movies, we are going to watch Major League as baseball season kicks off, and we're going to do it with a guest. 
your friend and mine, Travis Demers, the radio voice of the Portland Trailblazers, is going to come on and talk about Major League. Have you seen Major League before? I have. As have I, as has he. So we're breaking our rules a little bit, but I think it'll be- Who cares? It'll be fun. I just rewatched it last night in preparation, and I've seen it at least 25 times now, and like, I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I just can't wait to talk to Travis. Travis worked with us 16 years ago. Um, I think, I think he started at the same time as me at K2. He was our morning traffic person and Nick was our producer. And it, I don't think I've seen him in maybe 15 years. I have no idea. Um, it's going to be really fun to catch up. I mean, he's doing obviously really well. Yeah. He's a fantastic radio play-by-play guy. Um, he was ill-suited to be a traffic reporter. So it's good to see him get success in the things that he's good at and loves to do. So I can't wait to to have him on and chat about life and major league and baseball and K2 and news and, you know. Yeah, it's going to be really good. Our boys are the same age, so we're going to get together here soon. So anyway, uh, this was fun. Thanks for suggesting this. This is not a movie I would have ever seen if you had not forced me to. So I'm glad I saw it and I have a little bit of connection to a bit of pop culture that I otherwise would have skipped. I don't know why I'm not talking right now. I'm just like, I just hit my wall. Sorry, Nick. All right. Uh, closing thoughts on, uh, what are my closing thoughts on the big chill? Have you, did you notice in the big chill, how many shots there were of the women's butts and crotches and boobs just strewn throughout? There was a lot. Yeah. So this was the long butt era saggy boob era as far as fashion goes really high-waisted pants accentuating the long butt and then the maybe braless kind of look yeah former and that's back now so i actually didn't have too big a problem watching the fashion in this film this time around because it's all coming back i can't wait till the hair comes back i'm gonna feather what i got out yeah i'm gonna not I'm going to not mess with my hair. I've had an, a lifetime of trauma involving my hair. So I can leave it alone. I can grow a mustache, but it comes in blonde and my wife hates it. So maybe I should. I I probably have you beat on the stash. I think you said mid twenties. <laughs> I was 16 before I started shaving. So see you next week. <laughs> Film Swap is produced and hosted by Angelica Thornton and Nick Vole. You can watch or listen on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow Angelica on Twitter at AngelicaKATU and follow Nick at Nick Vole. Share your thoughts on the films we discussed there and we might just read them on the show. Music by John Michael Farley and Nick Vole.